Lord God, we thank you so much. Just as the rain has softened the earth, the, the Spirit, your Spirit, Lord, is softening our hearts so that new growth can take place, new life can take place. You're speaking your word into our hearts and minds. You're speaking your love into, into this world. And we come to you, God, with all of these things that we lay down at your feet, all the brokenness, all the little pieces of our lives, and we just give it all to you, God. Because we know that you have the power, and you do. You take those things that we give you, and you transform them into the most beautiful, beautiful offerings so that they end up resulting in a life change for people all over this world. And so that we could be a part of that, that we are called here to be a part of your transformation of this world for good and for love, Lord, is more than we could ever ask. We praise you for what you're going to do in this room here and what you have done in this room over the years. And we thank you, God, and pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen. Please have a seat. Good morning. You guys are really sleepy for Super Bowl Sunday, I'll tell you that. No, you sound amazing. Team Jesus, I like that. That's a good one, right? Yeah, so, oh, so uh, let's just hear a little, a little just kind of, who's, who's rooting for the Pats today? Can I hear a little cheer? Just three people. Who's rooting for the, uh, what's the other team? The Rams? Is that a real? Whoa. Ooh. I'll tell you what, Rams fans, it's going to be the last minute. And that man, what's his name? The, the quarterback from the Patriots? I can't remember his name. Just floats by. He's going he's gonna to just pass it in, and then you're all going to hold your breath. Because you know that he just keeps winning the game in the last minute over and over again, doesn't he? So that'll be the moment. I'm not telling you what's going to happen in that moment, but that's what's going to happen. And it's going to happen. And you're going to be, is he going to win it or is he going to lose it? And, well, we don't know. We're about, that's the excitement, isn't it? And at that moment, we will all be celebrating or crying or, <laughs> or eating. A lot of stress eating going on today. You know, uh, uh, this is the series called Loved. And it started last week with this incredible beginning of 31 people in our church came up here in the front and they became members of this church, some of them professing Christ in their life for the very first time with nine, nine baptisms last week. And I, I'm, I got to a chance to meet these people and it was every single person who tells me about how they ended up here and how God moved in their life, it just reminds me of, of how much we're loved by God. And each story is different. Each story is beautiful. Each face brings another um, tale of, of, of brokenness, of course, and then God's redemption, how God just takes those things. And even some people just stepping forward, or all people stepping forward saying, I'm, I know I'm going to still be broken, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step forward in faith, trusting God, trusting that God will give me what it takes and knowing that, that I, can tr- I can trust in God. See, that's a weird thing. Like love and trust are really tightly bound together, aren't they? And that's ultimately what God wants us to do is to have that kind of trust in God, to step out into this way of love that God calls us into. But there is this, these moments when we lose trust. There are these moments when we wonder, was this a good idea? And the church that Paul wrote a letter to called, the, uh, called Romans, that's, the name of the, that's what we call the letter because it's written to the church in Rome, he knew that this church was not feeling loved. They just weren't. So many people in that church were feeling like the opposite of love. They were feeling plagued. They were feeling burdened. They were feeling like they, they were not, it wasn't like they were in their zone. They were, they, were, they were just missing everything. And they were wondering, where is God in all of this? I don't know about you, but like 
It's easier to see God in a rainbow, isn't it, than in the, in the clouds. Maybe, I mean, did you see this? This is a picture we took this morning, and uh, it's, it's so beautiful because it was a double rainbow. These are two kids that come to the uh, children's ministry in the morning. And, and it's just such a stunning thing. People have been taking pictures of rainbows. How many people saw the rainbows this week? There were like 100 rainbows, weren't they? Oh, apparently there were 400 rainbows. Oh, my, maybe we saw the same three rainbows. But it was, it was incredible, right, to see the rainbow, and it, you stop. Oh, wow. But we don't do that so much in the, in the rain. And the truth is we need the rain more than we need the rainbows, don't we? Because the rain is what softens the earth. It's what's bringing the harvest for next year. It's what's fueling the local economy. It's making it so that we can continue to shower in the year 2025. You know, things like that, simple things. But we don't celebrate those. And, and sometimes people get this impression that God's not there I had the most interesting conversation. I love being on staff here because we have great conversations. We were talking about how a lot of times people think that to be present is to talk. I'm guilty of that, trust me. Uh, To be present is to talk. When actually to be really present is to be what? To listen. So think about all the people in the world that say, I don't think God's present in my life because he's not talking. When actually... What a divine like, message from God that God may, we've so aligned being present with talking that because we don't hear God talking, we don't think God is present. But actually God may be demonstrating even more presence in our life by being silent and just listening, just being present. So the good conversations, right? I love sharing that stuff with you guys. So this is, this is the church in Rome that was feeling that God wasn't present in their life. They were feeling God might not be active. God might not be even there, especially because they were experiencing hardship. If you've lost a job or you feel like you just, the things in life that should be adding up aren't adding up for you or you're experiencing illness or a spouse is experiencing illness. If you're in those spaces where you just don't understand what's going on and and you feel like, gosh, God has all the power in the world and God can do anything to rescue me, but God's not doing that. Is God even there for me? That's where the church in Rome was. And Paul even started out this letter to the church in Rome because he knew that there were people in their midst that were saying, see, God's not there for you. Maybe you don't really have Jesus in your life. Maybe you need some secret secret code to get to Jesus. So Paul started out this letter with this awesome beginning. There's always like this little intro to every one of his letters. And it says these words, to those in Rome who are dearly loved by God and called to be God's people. I love that description. We, we usually refer to the people of God as, right, God's people, but we don't usually refer to them as those who are dearly loved. What a fantastic description of the church. Sometimes I feel like we don't really even rest in the love of God. And so my hope today is that as you hear the words from Scripture, you would start to remember how dearly or even deeply loved you are by God. And so this is what Paul says. He goes on for eight chapters to talk about the love of Jesus, and he lands here on chapter 8, verse 31, and he says these words. So what are we going to say about these things? If God is for us, what does it say? Who's against us? If God's for us, who's against us? I imagine a lot of little, like, imagine a little league football team going out there on the field against one of our Super Bowl teams. Can you imagine? 
That's sometimes what life feels like, right? But here's the caveat. That little league team is Jesus's team, okay? That's a game changer, by the way. Once you're on team Jesus, it's like having the best player. You, you can't have a better player recruited to your team than Jesus. He's saying, well, if God's for us, who can be against us? He says, you feel like there's a big battle in front of you. You think that there's some insurmountable odd in front of you. Guess what? You're on team Jesus. You got this. Don't be afraid. This is not a story that's going to end in loss. And that's what Paul really wanted them to hear. And they said, what? What's football? No, I'm just kidding. No, because it was Rome and it was, never mind. Anyway, so so verse 32 says, he didn't spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. Won't he also freely give us all things with him? Now, a lot of times I feel like we just move past verses like this and we don't recognize that Paul wanted us to to, to embrace this moment and the truth that God gave up his only son to die so that he could rescue you. I don't know about you, but I have one son, any one of my kids, my two daughters, I would do a lot to rescue you. But I have to be honest. I probably would stop if I had to give up one of my kids to rescue you. I'm not proud of that. But God says, I will do anything, and he has done anything for you. Paul Paul wants the people in Rome to remember the sacrifice that God made. And there's some people think that, oh, you know what? What about this area of brokenness? What about this thing I did? What about these things that have happened in my life? What about this enemy or this difficulty or whatever? And, And Paul's saying, are you kidding me? You're starting with this. You're starting with the ultimate sacrifice. And you're wondering whether Paul, whether Jesus is gonna, gonna go the distance for you. And already the greatest, greatest demonstration of love ever in the history of the world was made for you. Because God, through the power of God's love, made sure that death didn't have the last word when Jesus was crucified. Instead, Jesus was brought back to life. And instead of appearing to his disciples who had turned their back on him and who had actually been a part of him being crucified, he had every reason to say, hey, you know what? Game over for you, buddy. He actually instead embraced them. He held them. He loved them. He spoke good words into their life. You know, this is how the scripture continues. It it says these words, who will bring a charge against God's elect people? It is God who acquits them. This is another way that Paul is saying, don't judge one another. Don't judge people. Stop pointing fingers. What what is the famous saying? For every finger you're pointing there, there's three pointing back at you, right? And there's a thumb pointing somewhere. Who knows? Actually, now there's four. They they say it's four pointing, but it's not. It's only three, right? This one's just pointing to God saying, remember. Everybody's confused? Okay. Who will bring a charge against God's elect people? It is God who acquits them. Who's going to convict them? It's Jesus Christ who died, even more who was raised and who is at God's right side. It is Christ Jesus who also pleads our case for us. Paul wants you to know that there will be a time when you will encounter God face to face. There will be a time where there will be what you'd call a reckoning, right? A reckoning or an accounting, Have you ever heard of the word accountability? It comes from the word accounting. What is accounting? It's to just count. It's to to say, okay, this is how much is over here, and this is balance the books. 
There will be a time when you will come face to face with God. And there will be this conversation and it will say, okay, this is the truth of what God made you to be. All this. And then there will be the truth of who you really were and all the ways you weren't what God made you to be. And there's going to be this great chasm between the two of these things. And the question is whether you think that God has the ability to embrace this or even bring this together. Of course God does. God's already demonstrated that he's willing to go at any length at all. That there's nothing that can, that, that can be too wide a chasm for Jesus to, to cross, for you to be reached. Now, the scripture goes on to say these words because the people in Rome were wrestling with this question. Who will separate us from Christ's love? Will we be separated by trouble? You can say no. 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 I, think they were, I think they were a little Baptist back then, don't you think? Will they be separated from trouble? Will they be separated from distress? What about harassment? Famine? Nakedness? Can I have a loud no for that one? Louder. There you go. Danger? What about sword? Nothing. Nothing can separate us from Christ's love. But Paul decides to recognize that, that there is struggle, that to say that no is not always as easy as it should be. It should be just so emphatic. It should be like when you're yelling for your team of the Super Bowl, no, nothing can separate us from God's love. But we know that there's this part of us that is kind of saying, well, you know what? It's hard. It's really hard. This is Paul. He's quoting from the psalmist that one of the most tragic songs in the whole entire Bible is Psalm 44. And he quotes these words. He says, we are being put to death all day long for your sake, God, we are treated like sheep for the slaughter. You see, the, the reality is it is tough. Sometimes, you know, sometimes the clouds come and, and the clouds aren't just clouds and it's not just rain, but it's depression or it's illness or it's mental illness or it's addiction or it's these things that we s- just feel that we can't shake. And there's those moments where we say, hey, you know, a, a moment of sin where we say, okay, I just did something. Can God overcome this? Yes, he can. What if that moment lasts for a week? Yes. What if that moment lasts for a year? Yes. 20 years? Yes. God can reach you in that moment, and God has the ability to overcome that. There's nothing that can separate you from that. And there are these moments in our life where we tend to think that God is not present because God's not talking, but it's us who's not present. See, God said God is always with us, I was driving to work, driving to work, I call this work terrible. I was driving to church today. There was, a, there was a grassy hill and there was a beautiful tree on it. And I stopped and I took a picture of that and I thought, gosh, this, God's always been saying he loves me through that tree, but I just never saw it. God's been present in my life. God will always be present. There's never a moment where God will not be there with you. But I want you to hear the whole Psalm 44 because, you know, let's make it more tragic in here. Why don't we, right? Why don't we just dig a little deeper into this? Because I think it helps us to see that we're not alone in this struggle. The thousands of years before Jesus, the whole of human, humanity, people have been writing these tragic songs and saying, help, God, help. This is a whole, whole thing. We, we, Paul just quoted a little bit of it, but let's read the whole thing. This is the beginning that Paul quoted. It says, no, God, it is because of you that we are getting killed every day. It is because of you that we are considered sheep ready for the slaughter. This is not someone who's happy with God, right? Goes on to say, wake up. <laughs> they think God's sleeping. Have you heard people say that? Say, I think God might be sleeping. 
This one, this person thinks that. Wake up. Why are you sleeping, Lord? Get up. Don't reject us forever. That's like my kids in the morning. Daddy, wake up. I need some cereal. (laughs) Or my new puppy doesn't say that, but just barks all morning. This is, this is what the psalmist says. Why are you hiding your face? Is God hiding his face? No. Is God sleeping? No. Does it invalidate this person's feelings? No. I, I know these things. <laughs> Why are you hiding your face? Forgetting our suffering and our oppression. Look, we're going down to the dust. Our stomachs are flat on the ground. Stand up. Help us. Save us for the sake of your faithful love. That's the whole song. And everybody Paul was writing to would have known that song because that that was probably a very popular song because it's a real song. People can resonate with it, the pain and the the, the heartache. Sometimes we just feel that God is so present and other times we just feel like God's not present. Sometimes during a message we feel like, okay, that really hit home. God, you're so present now. And then we walk outside and we're just kind of going through the motions of life and and we, f- we feel that God's not present, but it doesn't mean that God's not present. See, God is with you always, every single day. And God is loving you. Even when that trust is broken. Even when you feel that, you know what, you've abandoned God, God hasn't abandoned you. He is there with you. Because we all have moments of brokenness that last sometimes too long and too short. This is the scripture because this is what it all leads up to. And by the way, I I knew I was preaching this on Super Bowl. This is going to get you guys jazzed a little bit. But in all these things, we win a sweeping victory through the one who loved us. What's a sweeping victory? Another word for a sweeping victory is a blowout. How many people, by the way, I, I don't think a blowout's very interesting for the Super Bowl. I don't want that. I want a close game. But in terms of us and the adversity that we are facing in the world, God wants you to know it's not a close game. It's not going to be a close game. It's going to be a sweeping victory. It's going to be a stunning, climactic victory in which there will be a total, ultimate win. And you're on the team. You're a part of it. You're there. This is what Paul goes on to say. He says, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Not death or life, not angels or rulers, not present things or future things, not powers or height or depth or any other thing that is created. Because we're loved. Nothing can separate us from that. And yeah, sometimes we look out on the ocean, we look out across this vast, insurmountable obstacle in front of us, and yeah, God is calling us into things that seem so much bigger than us and seem far beyond anything that we ever thought we could be a part of, and and we say, no, we couldn't possibly impact 8,000 high school students or students in this area. That's not possible. But God calls us into these things that seem so much bigger than what we can do. God says, you know what? I want to call you into this place of addiction. I want to call you into this place of brokenness. I want to call you into these systemic family dysfunctions that you've had all of your life that have gone on for generation and generation. And I want to call you deep into that. 
Because God wants to demonstrate his love to you. Because God wants to show you how much you are loved. But what does it take? It takes trust. It takes trust that is built in the assurance of his love. So you can step out in those places. And when you do, you, you have this beautiful experience of being led by the Spirit of God into a place where you, where you get to proclaim God's love. Where you get to, they call that glorifying. Have you ever heard people say, I, I wish that I could glorify God, which I always thought was kind of like a silly thing, right? Like, how could I glorify God? That almost seems arrogant, doesn't it? That's the point. It's absurd that, that I could glorify God. It, it doesn't make sense, but it happens. Through the power of the Spirit, you get an opportunity to bring glory to God. Like a, like a, little, like, like a little mirror. You see the light of Jesus, and, and Jesus shines off of you, and you, people say, wow. They don't say, wow, look at you. Look at what you're doing. They say, look at what God is doing in that life. They don't say, hey, you know what? Wow, good job. I, I can see how amazing it is that you've accomplished those things. And then just like a little mirror, these are the mirror moments in our lives when we need to say, ah, 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 hold on a second. Let me just adjust that so you can see it. Let me just turn that mirror just a little bit. Now do you see it? It's not me. That's Jesus. That's the light of the world that you're seeing in me. You see, I love the the truth that Paul wants to speak into the church in Rome, the truth that, wants, that God wants to speak through Paul and through you and through me into every single church in this world is that we are dearly loved, we're deeply loved, that we are loved so far beyond our imagination. In 1 John uh, chapter 4, 19, it says these words, we love because God first loved us. We are just reflections of God's love into the world. That Jesus' command to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, it's just a reflection. It's just a response to what we're already receiving. It's just a natural thing. We're glowing with love toward God and love toward others. And so now, as we begin this year, we're going we're gonna to get a little deeper next week. I hope you're ready for it. I hope, you, I hope you're saying today is only just the beginning. But the result is, is so beautiful when a church and when a person and when a kid or a mom or a dad starts to live in the assurance that they're loved. Because then things stop knocking them off their game. Little, little moments of brokenness where, yeah, it, it is terrible and the result is awful. Jesus said if you curse, curse your mother, brother, or sister, you don't forgive your mother, brother, or sister that you are actually committing murder. If you don't love them as we're commanded to do. So Jesus never said any of this broken was, his, was small stuff. He said it was big stuff. But Jesus says, this is not too small for me. I can overcome all of this. And I know that makes you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable too because there's a lot of areas I need to, I need to walk into with this right, written right all over me. I'm loved. I'm loved. How many times do we look in the mirror and we think, we're all guilty of it. We actually say, I don't love who I am. I don't love who I've become. 
But what we need to be saying when we look into the mirror is say, I am loved. I'm loved. Turn to your neighbor and say, God loves you. Now, turn to your neighbor and say, God loves you and I'm working on it. Try that. (laughs) Hey, come on, that's the real thing. God loves you and I'm working on it. Because that's a commitment. That's a commitment we have to each other. We are going to work at it. We are going to, 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 to demonstrate that God is faithful. We're going to step out in trust and we are going to show the world that God can be trusted and that God is worth trusting with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that's the journey. And it begins right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are awesome. We thank you so much for what you're doing in this church and that you've always spoken these words for, through people like Paul and through just normal people who, who it seems absurd that you would, bring, uh, would allow to bring glory to you. That we could all just be little mirrors in the world reflecting your love and light into the hearts, minds, and souls of others it is just more than we could ever ask. We pray that we would have all of the uh, illusions of separation, all of those things that are not true, that are spoken into our hearts and our minds and our souls, that we are not loved, we're not lovable, that, that we are separate from you, God. We are not. You are with us always, now, and forever. Amen. Please stand.